0: Hi, it's Eric Schlein. You are listening to the Intelligent Investing Podcast. Before we start the show, we have a special sponsor. So I want to say that this podcast is sponsored by my personal podcast host, Podbean. I know a lot of you value investors out there have you know asked me, how do I start my own podcast? This seems really cool. I'd like to do this myself. Highly recommend Podbean. They're probably the easiest way to create your own podcast. We use Podbean to host the Intelligent Investing Podcast. And I also use Podbean to host my new show, The Eric Schlein Podcast. So you can download the free Podbean podcast app to start, record, and publish your own podcast literally in minutes. Podbean provides everything you need to run your podcast, and you can record and publish episodes directly from the app or on your phone. So that's Podbean, P-O-D-B-E-A-N, podcast app. Check it out. Today's episode is brought to you by Ticker, T-I-K-R dot Ticker.com is focused on bringing institutional quality investment research tools to the individual investor. I had personally reached out to Ticker uh, because it is a product and service that I use myself and I love it. Um, Ticker.com is powered by S&P Global Capital IQ, has coverage of over 50,000 stocks globally with financials, estimates, valuation metrics, ownership transcripts, that includes presentations as well, not just quarterly conference calls, also news, filings, and more. You can join Ticker.com's free beta today with Ticker.com/intelligent. That's T-I-K-R.com/intelligent. Um, for those that are listening in the car, if you don't remember that, if you have any other value investor friends that use Ticker, they can send you an invite code. So anyway, uh, with that ado, enjoy the episode, and please, 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 if you want uh, some great quality access to information and lots of financials. Definitely check out ticker tik Welcome to the Intelligent Investing Podcast, where modern portfolio theory can suck it. A student of the school of Graham and Doddsville and a clergy member of the Church of Warren Buffett, here's your host, Eric Schlein. Hi, this is Eric Schlein. You're listening to the Intelligent Investing Podcast, where I discuss value investing, rational analysis, and break breakdown the processes, principles, and mental models of business owners and managers. Today, we have on back Jason Rivera, who is the founder of Rivera Holdings. Jason, welcome back to the show. It's been a few years.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me back, Eric. Glad to be back.
0: So Jason was one of our very first guests when I had nine downloads. So it's, uh, it's cool to have you back on. So what have you been up to lately?
1: I've been working to grow my businesses, grow the cash flow of my businesses, and I've been doing a lot of investment writing. I write for a couple of new, or three different websites and newsletters now, but mainly just building cash flow. I am prepared and ready the next when, for when the next crash comes.
0: So we were talking a little bit about this before the show. So you think right now might be a very dangerous time to start in investing into the market and whether it's stocks or real estate is that correct?
1: Yes. And let me preface this by saying I don't I'm not a market timer. I don't believe in that per se. I I believe I'm an extreme value investor or extremely conservative value investor and I don't believe in timing the market. However, having said that, valuations in the stock market are at or near all-time highs right now the stock market's breaking new highs on an almost daily basis single family real estate is skyrocketing just in the last year in the last year stock market or uh, housing prices on single family real estate have risen by 11.2 percent the last time they rose that fast was in 2006 right before the housing bubble crashed Getting back to the stock market is now more overvalued than at any point in history in the last 120 years. Than just before the tech bubble crash, that's the only time that the valuation was higher. It was right before the tech bubble crash in 2000. We're at an even higher valuation pretty much across the board. And, and it, these metrics depend. There's a bunch of different metrics you can look at. But we're pretty much across the board. The stock market's by 20 or 30% valued at a higher level now than it was right before the Great Depression.
0: And what metrics are you using to look at valuation?
1: Schiller PE or the CAPE ratio is one. The Buffett indicator is another one. That's the highest it's ever been since 1971, right at 191.3%, I think, the last time I looked. And the highest before that, going back to 1971, was about 150% in the great, and right before the tech bu- bubble burst. So we are significantly either more overvalued than just any time in history or right below that threshold. It doesn't feel the same though
0: as a typical bubble. If That's the case. I don't have my cab driver telling me about what stock they're buying or anything like that. Typically, the only thing when I really hear about is people buying crypto. and That seems to be the thing that people want to talk about, but it's not necessarily stocks per se. So how do you reconcile that?
1: I have an opposite experience, actually. Pretty much everybody is, everybody I know from my brother, my dad, friends, family, literally probably three, four, five times a week. Somebody who never has asked me about investing before or or who asked me about investing like specific weed stocks or crypto or just just general stuff. They're asking me about GameStop or AMC or should I invest in the stock market because I see things skyrocketing or even single family real estate. I get, I'm getting a lot of questions about should I invest in single family real estate right now and put it on Airbnb, for example, to get returns. So I have the opposite experience. I'm getting those questions. On pretty much an everyday basis? Is it to the point now, I, a friend told me a story the other day about back before the Great Depression, is he knew that there was going to be a major crash when his shoe shine boy was giving him stock tips? I haven't seen any of that, to be honest, but I am getting a lot of questions from people who don't normally ab- ask about invest- investing stuff.
0: Now, What are your thoughts though on interest rates? The fact that they're so low seems to also be a driver of um, some of these asset prices. So how do you recommend oh, yeah. all that? So <laughs> I think, because I think that's potentially the danger of trying to compare different time periods.
1: Yes. Um, and I don't. agree. So I'll, and I'll just preface too, which is,
0: I, I'm not saying you are wrong. I, I, I don't really have a view either way, but I think one of the dangers of comparing 120 years worth of data is it's In terms of cycles and in terms of what interest rates look like, there's often things in financial history that seem to be, oh, that actually has never happened before. And it's not like we're going back 20,000 years. We're going back 120 years. And I think sometimes it's easy to look for patterns until the pattern changes. When When in United States history have we had a combination, right, a combination of interest rates this low, and companies with returns on capital, say like a Facebook or a Google that are extremely high and can remain high at, at however large their market caps are today. We've never seen companies in the history of the world this profitable. And at the same time, we've never really seen interest rates this low for a sustained period of time. So how do you reconcile that? Have you thought about that at all?
1: No, I have. Those are good, great questions, by the way. So the interest rates being low due to manipulation, if you want to call it that in the stock market with the saving the economy, I'm doing quote unquote here with the COVID crash and all that, or well, even go back to 2009 to save the economy. Then this is kind of when it started for me, at least was the market manipulation and the ultra low interest rates based on historical perspectives. To your point specifically, interest rates are already rising. They rose from about 1, uh, 0.55% to I think right around 1.7 or 1.8% right now, depending on what the market's doing. So interest rates are already rising because people see the risk, which is the debt and the debt's the big one, or to me, the debt is the big one. And I'll talk, we can talk about that in a minute. If you want valuation is a problem. Again, I don't time the market. So it's not a huge problem to me because if I can find undervalued individual stocks or undervalued individual commercial real estate or whatever, I'll still buy. Even if I think the market's overvalued to the point about the comparing time periods. So I 100% agree with that. It's not an apples to apples comparison. That is 100% a fair point. What I would say to that is actually that you are correct that tech profits are sky high. Return on capitals are extraordinary. Across the board though, I think in 2020, if, if memory serves me, I just saw an article last week that corporate profits were down about $400 billion last year. So profits for the tech industry are skyrocketing. Correct. Profits for everything else across the board were down pretty significantly last year due to COVID and the closures and lockdowns and all that stuff. Well, um, you do have a
0: significant portion of the S&P that are in those same stocks.
1: Yes, yes. But another stat I saw was out of the top 1,500 stocks worldwide, something like 200 or 300 are unprofitable. That's never happened in history, to have that many unprofitable companies in the top 1,500 companies in the world. So yeah, the disproportionate tech stocks, FANG stocks, all those kind of things that are skyrocketing, Amazon, Facebook, Google, Tesla, they are in the minority. They are. I
0: I do wonder though, the, the companies that are not profitable, have you looked at what those companies are?
1: Uh, all 1,500? No, to be honest. No, I just found that stat like three well, days the, ago, so I haven't had time to look.
0: All the, just, I guess the thing that I wonder too is there's the the, the business model of deferring profits to reinvest has also, I, I would imagine that it's the highest it's ever been in history as well. Like where I've invested in companies where they're not showing any profits, but they have internal rates returns of 30, 40% a year. So I, I wonder, are these crappy companies that are just not, making money or are these actually quality businesses that are intentionally not making money yeah, that would be something i'd be curious about
1: yeah to be honest i haven't i, I just found this stat a couple of days ago so i haven't added time to dig into that stat but i saw that and i was like "Ooh, that is scary but yeah that, that's a good point too if they are investing and actually doing good investing in terms of quality capital allocation, that's a good investment. If they're just throwing money and all that stuff, that's a different story. But. but I think
0: the weirdest thing about this market is, and I feel like it's been this way for a few years now, is you can find some very high quality businesses that trade the exact same multiples as these like old time blue chip companies where they're like, the revenue has been flat for years. Yeah,
1: I, I that, found that peculiar. Like the fact that When I was buying Facebook, I was buying Facebook at the same multiple of the market that didn't make any sense to me. Yeah. And this market, and this gets back to your earlier point of we are legitimately, and I've studied, and I'm just like, I'm sure you have, Eric, an enormous amount of financial history, enormous amount of world history. I can't pinpoint another time in history where interest rates have been this low or markets have been this high and where debt levels have been this high. Debt levels to me. Yeah, the valuations are a big concern by themselves. The debt levels, we're at $281 trillion in, corp- in debt worldwide. 355% times, or 350, was it 350? Yeah, 355% of the total world economic output right now based on GDP. That's absurd. Yeah. <laughs> that, and that gets back to the interest rate point, because so all these are interconnected with the low interest rates, People can't get returns anywhere. You can't get it in the savings account. You can't get it in bonds. Bonds are horrible investment right now, in my opinion, because interest rates are so low. So it's, you're pretty much too, you're forced into the market to get a return, yeah. which of course makes the market go up and it, people get these cheap or low interest rate, or even in some cases like Japan and Germany, negative interest rate debt. And they're just levering up and levering up more and more. So it's all connected. And I can't pinpoint a time in history where this combination of things has happened.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I look at real estate sometimes and I sometimes have seen, uh, actually last week I saw a triple net property at like a three and a half percent cap
1: rate. And I was like, why? (laughs) That, That is funny. I actually stopped, I was about a year ago I was vetting some deals for commercial real estate, apartment complexes, and self storage units, and I had the same experience. I was literally getting ready to submit some investment memorandums I put together for two different properties. The day COVID hit, I think it was March 13th, I had just finished them and the COVID pandemic kind of blew up, so that shelved things. But I've looked, started looking recently and the cap rates are absurdly low, like 5% and below, 7% and below. And... I'm just looking, I think I can, or I know I can find better, quote unquote, safer return assets that aren't, that I wouldn't have to get as highly levered for. Yes, there are other factors like depreciation and stuff like that to throw into it, but the cap rates, the rate of return people are accepting right now is crazy to me. It makes no sense.
0: Do you, have you noticed too, do you find that, are you still looking for investment ideas or like, I mean, do, you, do you just chill out? Like what's, what's your deal? Yeah. Like?
1: So I said, I've been building my businesses. I, I write for three investment newsletters and sites. So I'm in the markets. I'm looking every day at different stocks and I literally, probably over the last year or so I have found probably about 10 investments in terms of stocks that i wanted to buy even with the valuations crazy when the market crashed last year i was in puerto rico with my family on a mini vacation and to do services for my father-in-law after he passed away and i was looking at stocks there because the crash and people like you and i eric when we see a crash we get not necessarily excited about the crash, but we get excited for opportunity. It was happening very quickly too. Yeah, and it happened very quickly. And I found seven stocks that I actually put buy orders in, and I wasn't able to buy them because they rose so fast because of the stimulus and the trillions of dollars that governments worldwide have put into the economy. I, none of them got filled. Not one of them got filled at the prices I wanted to buy it.
0: Well, let's let's let me ask you about that. So when you were putting in those orders, were these a liquid securities
1: or? Yeah, these were. Three of them big stocks, like the blue chips you talked about earlier. Big stocks. One, I, I'll so probably, why don't they
0: have a filled for, for being such a big company? Or are you just putting orders in below where the market was?
1: No, I think I put a buy order in at Intel of 40, and it was around 40 at the time, and it just skyrocketed from there.
0: So why not you just use a market order on, on Intel at that point?
1: I was in Puerto Rico and I had limited internet. So I didn't want to, because the market at that point was skyrocketing by a thousand or 2000 points a day. So I didn't want to get some crazy price. Gotcha. Interesting.
0: So what else about, can you, can you go a little bit more into the weeds on what you're seeing in the market right now that, that you're, that also makes you nervous and you talked about the debt levels, you talked about a lot of corporate profitability being stagnant or declining. Can You say a little bit more about what you've been finding.
1: Yeah. Another one that I'm watching is inflation. Inflation is rising rapidly. The one reason housing prices are skyrocketing so fast is because lumber prices are at an all-time high, about right around $1,000 per board foot, which is the chart. So normally, Eric, the charts go up and then they skyrocket a little bit slowly over time. Then it builds up. The lumber chart goes like this, and then it goes pretty much straight up (laughs) just in the last six months or something like that it's crazy and that's adding about twenty-five thousand dollars to the price of a house so are you looking
0: at ideas where they'll benefit from inflationary environment
1: honestly not really most of the companies i invest in or look to or even the assets like commercial real estate i want the cash flow more than anything dividends from stocks competitive advantages in stocks Commercial real estate, not the pre- appreciation. That's an icing on the cake thing for me, but I want the steady cash flow when it comes to commercial real estate. So that will mostly be protected by inflation. So most of the assets I invest in will be protected by inflation or so, from inflation.
0: So, what, what do you think might be interesting right now as an investor that can invest in all kinds of companies, big to super tiny to real estate? What parts of the market might be interesting right now to look at?
1: Parts of the market that are interesting right now, that is a good question. Honestly, I'm starting to look more commercial real estate. Single family real okay. estate is skyrocketing. Stock valuations are crazy. I am on occasion finding great stocks that are cheap enough to buy, but they're not. I typically like the smaller stocks. These ones that I'm talking about are, are the bigger ones. Surprise, which would, is would you be willing to give a name or two? Yeah. JM Smucker is one that looks like a pretty good buy right now in terms of um, its profitability, its it won't be cut, crushed by covid if it, if we hit another major wave of that because people want to buy its products and it's all that. So consumer staples is another kind of general area. General Mills is another one that looks like a pretty good buy right now. So um, let's
0: talk about uh, the first one, Pajama Smokers. So what tell us go walk us through the valuation uh, of that business.
1: So let me bring that up. Yeah, please. And for my valuation, I just do back of the envelope valuation. So I'm just bringing up Morningstar right here on my other screen. So in terms of the valuation, this I don't care much about PE and price to cash flow. I care more about the EV to EBIT ratio. That's more of the relative valuation I like. But on a PE ratio basis, I look for anything under 20, same with price to cash flow just got a margin of safety thing. And
0: what about for an enterprise value to EBIT ratio what do you look for?
1: I look for anything under 8 to show an extreme margin of safety. That's for a, for a big company with competitive advantages you pretty much never find that. But so anything under 8 is extremely undervalued. Anything around 12 for a company with huge competitive advantages is probably a, a probably a fair valuation, too slightly undervalued. Smucker's EBIT is 12.5 right now. So it meets that criteria. That's just one of my valuation techniques. In terms of its profitability, its profits are consistently great. Operating margin above 15% pretty much forever. Free cash flow to sales or ROIC between 5 and 10%. I look for anything about 10% on a consistent base. But again, fluctuating here a little bit with the, uh, with the COVID stuff and the uh, return on equity is. I assume I that. that too. I don't. No, really. I look at ROIC. The reason I don't look at ROE, well, I, let me back up. So I look at ROE only as comparison to ROIC, because okay. if I look at ROE and it's higher than ROIC, I know the company immediately has debt. Well, yeah, because ROE is immediate is levered by debt, while ROIC is not. And do, you, do you
0: inherently see that as a bad thing? I don't inherently no. see that as a bad thing. I see no, it's very contextual. Okay.
1: No, not necessarily. If it's triple what the ROIC is, and that's not necessarily a red flag, I would say, but it's something I want to look at and make sure the company's producing a lot of cash flow. If the company's producing right. a lot of cash flow, it can have more debt. So, sometimes
0: you can almost be penalized for not having enough debt if, if they're on. Yeah. So, well, especially with
1: super low interest rates right now. Yeah. Look at Apple, what it's done for years is taken out super low interest de- uh, debt to buy back stock. So, wouldn't
0: you say that was a smart idea?
1: I would say it's smart. It's not necessarily optimal because I wouldn't say their stock's been undervalued, but it's been smart in my estimation. You don't
0: think the stock was undervalued five years ago?
1: Based on what it's doing now. Yeah. (laughs) But based on what it was doing then I would say no. I, I, for me. And that's a nuance. We'll we'll, we'll agree to disagree
0: on that one, but okay. Yeah.
1: No. And I've had conversations with other investors about this as well is I was so my thesis on Apple I'm not an Apple guy by the way my wife is most of my friends are I I'm an Android guy but one of those yeah, yeah I'm one of those people but I had this conversation probably shortly after Steve Jobs died with another value investor and my thesis at that time was that I don't see them coming out with more products because Steve Jobs was a visionary so I thought that would slow their growth turns out I was right to a degree, but Tim Cook is a master at generating efficiencies. I did not foresee that coming. So I was right in my kind of initial thesis, but on a second, third level order, I was massively wrong, obviously, because the stock has continued. Yeah. Yeah. And
0: then you said the other company is General Mills.
1: General Mills is another one that looks like a pretty good buy as well, too. Why do you like that? Same thing. Consumer staples won't be harmed, actually will improve- if we have another COVID wave. So, what I've been looking at a lot over the last year is companies with massive competitive advantages. And my Morningstar site just broke, it's not coming up. Okay. So, what, I, what I've been looking for is companies with huge competitive advantages, huge cash flow production, high cash levels compared to relatively little debt, companies that won't be harmed by COVID. So, I've stayed away from a lot of cruise ships and hospitality companies, hotels. I've stayed away from those pretty much completely until there's more clarity on the COVID situation. And I've focused on these kind of companies with huge competitive advantages, consumer staples, mostly because people will eat food no matter what. People will stop paying the mortgages, they'll stop going on trips, they'll stop paying their credit cards, but they won't stop feeding their kids. So that's why I focused a lot on those companies. But it's also been companies like Intel. Intel's another one that looks, or at least when I wanted to buy it, was a great buy. I actually haven't looked at it in the last month, so I don't know even what price it's even close to right now. But when I wanted to buy it, again, competitive advantages, huge cash flow production, all that kind of stuff.
0: What are your thoughts on the future of Intel?
1: I think the new CEO is going to get them, not necessarily back on track, because I think a lot of this stuff. I wouldn't say it's not fair to them, but they're still producing massive amounts of cash flow. They're still, I think, the R and D spend between them and AMD is something like three, four, five X of what AMD is doing. So they should still be able to stay ahead of them. I think the new CEO will get them back to hitting deadlines, which is the big thing because he, if memory serves me right, you might. I think he's an engineer by trade, right? Okay. Is that correct, Eric? I don't remember. Oh, okay. I think I don't, he's an I don't engineer. No, I
0: don't remember. I don't know either
1: way. Oh, okay. I think he's an engineer. So his engineers, you have to hit deadlines or... yeah it's pretty much just what your job is essentially you hit the deadlines you do a good job and you just keep going so i think he'll get them back to that which i think the main in my opinion the main reason they got crushed yeah they were having some issues with the what was it the silicone or the chips not being as efficient or whatever as amds and they fell a little bit behind for the first time my understanding
0: was that they they lost on a competitive advantage
1: yeah i don't i wouldn't go that far that they lost their huge competitive advantages did they lose it momentarily in terms of that chip that they had the delays on? Yes. So for you, you um, thought it was
0: just a momentary thing.
1: Yeah, for me, it's not a yeah, it's not a long term thing where they lost their competitive advantages, unless they are just completely idiots when it comes to capital allocation and their R and D spend, which I don't see. If that's the case, that's the only way I could see. See, I don't trust myself to, to to make that
0: decision. I like I don't see it either, but that's what scared me.
1: Yes. I, I didn't. Yeah, and for me, honestly, that's that. To be honest, that scared me in March, but it was so cheap at that point that I yeah. was like, based on just on its compared to its cash flow, I was like, this is pretty much the only way this is going to lose money is if they're complete idiots.
0: Yeah, no, I, I looked at it. I took, I, I passed. Maybe that was dumb.
1: <laughs> no, it's actually last time I looked, it was only up five, 10% since then. Okay. We'll see. And again, I haven't looked in a, a little while, so maybe that's changed by now.
0: Yeah. You know, any other uh, very interesting? Any other thoughts you have, or anything we didn't discuss that you thought would be worth uh, bringing up?
1: The last thing is, and we talked a little bit about this before we got on here. Is people, when I say talk about all these risks, people always are like, "So should I sell everything?" No, I, I never recommend you sell completely out of the market because if you think the if you think we're headed towards like an economic collapse, we're all going to have more problems to worry about than and what money were invested in the stock market. I think we're going to have a bad crash at some point. Could be tomorrow, could be 10 years from now. I don't know. I don't, again, I don't time the market. I don't even attempt to, but I do think the next crash is going to be bad. And just to protect yourself by investing in solid companies with competitive advantages. Hopefully they pay some kind of dividend so you can protect yourself from inflation. But other than that, yeah, I never recommend selling out of everything. And, but have some dry powder. The portfolios I manage right now are about in 60, 65% cash. So have some dry powder available as well so you can take advantage of opportunities.
0: All right, Jason, thank you uh, so much for coming on. And you're welcome on any time and love the
1: conversation like always. Awesome, thanks, Eric. All right, take care. Bye.